And Moses, again, was on this journey with Israel. We realize that he had heard God around Mount Sinai, out in the desert, from a burning bush. At that time, Moses was just a shepherd with a couple of hundred sheep when God spoke to him. But now, after he was led by the God in the miraculous event of through the Red Sea and leaving Egypt behind, he led Israel now back into the desert scenario right around Mount Sinai again. And it's where God was going to take Moses, who again originally was leading just a couple of hundred sheep, would now be shepherding a couple of million of people. And along the way, we realized that God was evoking his relationship with Israel all over again. Now, if you're kind of new to church, uh, you may not be aware of this particular theme, but if you've been around for a while, it's been highly debated for a lot, a lot of years. One of the big debates among Christianity is how do we live our life, under law or under grace? The law of what the Old Testament seems to teach about this forecasting of, of what the hope of the Messiah would bring one day or the lifestyle that we get to live now that Christ has come, that, that the, the plan has come to fruition, that God, what he promised would come one day, that, that seed, that, that birth of Christ would now uh, relate to you and I. And so there are a lot of us that want to enjoy the grace of God and just kind of throw away the law of God. And some people have asked, like, like, how necessary, Pastor Jim, really is the Old Testament now that we are living in these New Testament times, this, this age of grace? And so that's what I want to look more fully into with you today and help you to understand how this theme relates to you and I even today. So here's kind of the key thought that I want to unpack fully with you and I today. I want to propose to you this morning that the law isn't what you think it is. That when we think about the law of God, or maybe again we start to think about all of those things that would bring to our memory what the Bible would teach to us about the rules, it's probably not what you think it is. I mean, when we hear law, we probably instantly think about do's and don'ts with probably a much stronger emphasis on the don't. In fact, there's probably a lot of people that are no longer in church or struggle with their faith because they're introduced oftentimes with this sense of these rules or a lot of the don'ts, and people would just rather say, you know what, if that's all it is, no thank you. It's just a bunch of rules. It's just a bunch of don'ts. And so, man, if that's maybe ever been a part of your thought process, I'm so glad that you are here today because I want to help you in the journey about how this works together. You see, the truth is, is that the law of God is not a ladder for unsaved people to somehow climb their way to heaven. Again, we might hear that being described as works. I gotta do stuff. Maybe religion is another good term, right? You've been taught or you grew up, you gotta do this and you gotta do that and you gotta do this and you gotta have this. And it's all this stuff you have to do in the hopes of someday, have I done enough to, to pass, right, God's judgment? And a lot of us grow up in religion with that and we miss out on the relationship that God always wants to have with us through God. It is a relationship based on both law and grace. But how are they seen 
together. You see, the truth is, is that the law of God is not necessarily for the outside. It's much more for those of us on the inside. The law of God is a pattern for life for God's people who have been saved from judgment by the blood of Jesus Christ. The law of God works much more for you and I than it is for an on-ramp for people and somehow to get to God. The message of the law is not that we must keep the law in order to be saved, but rather that because we are saved, we should be keeping God's law. Make sense? In fact, it's, it's probably almost opposite about how naturally we think that God's law and God's grace should be working together. We probably have a tendency to think that they are at odds, and that's been the debate over decades of those in, in religion, those in the church, that, that they seem to be opposites pulling against each other. But the truth is, is that we are understanding this relationship with God or the message of the gospel is that as we are saved, we recognize that now there is a work by the Spirit of God that is encouraging us to be able to keep God's law. Now, if you are a home DIYer, how many know that usually close is good enough? Right, most of the projects that maybe you get involved in, uh, I, I told you over the last years, thank God for YouTube. Somebody, not, not for all the garbage stuff that's on there, but whenever I'm trying to do a home project, I am so glad for YouTube. Because I always tell people, if I can see it, then I can do it. My brain isn't necessarily uh, fundamental in the areas of construction, but I know if someone can map it out for me, if somebody can show me how it, this is how it's supposed to be done, then, boy, it makes the job so much easier. But I also realize that I'm not a skilled craftsman or carpenter, and so when I do a project, it usually looks good from a distance. How many know what I'm talking about, Right? I was with somebody just yesterday. They did an amazing job in uh, redoing their home. They, they finished off their basement, and it looked amazing. But right away, you know, he said, well, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not really a craftsman, so, you know, there, there are some mistakes, there are some things, and, and I find myself over the years kind of saying the same thing, don't look too hard, right? Like, it looks nice from a distance, but, but don't look too hard, we realize that we have this idea that close is good enough. And yet, I think that's how a lot of people gauge their relationship with God as well. And this is where the law of God comes in. I think that, again, we want to kind of master it or control it. We want as much of God as we're comfortable of handling. We gauge it rather than it gauging us. We want to look good from a distance, but we get a little bit nervous if God would happen to throw the full searchlight of heaven into our heart or into our life. And the understanding is that we feel that our response or our exit strategy is grace. See, I don't have to do all that, Pastor Jim. I don't have to follow all of that. I don't, we don't have to get micromanaged because of grace, because it's grace, 
because it's grace and we seem to take the law of God and throw it aside. You see, the truth is, is that the law is an exacting measurement. And that's why most of us DIY Christians are calling out for grace so often. When Pastor Matt was here, one of the guys that was on our team, he was a pretty good craftsman. That was a little bit of his handle for a lot of us and a lot of the projects around the church. And a number of years ago when we were redoing the the church offices, um, they were kind of in rough shape when we got there. And so fortunately, we have a lot of guys in the church that can do a lot of projects and we haven't really ever had to go outside. We've had some guys inside that have been able to do a lot of the work that we wanted to do. And so we were laying down laminate flooring and uh, so I was with one of the guys, and, and I was going to do my office um, with, with a buddy, um, which was probably, you know, at least maybe double or, or one and a half times as, as the next office. And I had asked Pastor Matt, like, hey, would you, would you take that office? And there was another guy from the church who was an engineer at Lord Corporation who said, hey, I was thinking about putting laminate flooring in my house. Would you mind if I teamed up with Pastor Matt and, and helped him on that office? And I'm like, no, that'd be awesome. That'd be great. All, all the help, right? So me and my guy got started in my office again, maybe almost twice the size. And I mean, we're cutting, measuring, laying everything out. Boom, we're done. And we go into that much smaller office. There's Matt and his worker. They're about a third of the way done of the entire office. And they are struggling over cutting a piece one one sixty-fourth of an inch off of the edge of the board that ultimately is going to get tucked under trim of which no one will ever see in their entire life. And I began to realize, Pastor Matt, close is close enough, Right? But we realize that a lot of us are wired differently. He just couldn't go to bed that night knowing that somewhere behind that trim, at somewhere in that office, that that board was going to be cut one sixty-fourth of an inch short. He couldn't live with himself. You see, again, trying to live an exacting to an exacting standard is a tough way to live. And so when we hear about the law of God, we want to run away from that, and we want to run and cling to the grace of God. You see, by their basic definitions, we're left with a feeling that they've got to be polar opposites. But again, I want to take some time and prove to you today that they are not. You see, the entire Bible is a book of grace. God has one plan from the beginning to the end, and it all fits together under his grace. In Exodus chapter 20, we realize that they had left Egypt. They had gone through the Red Sea. They were out in the desert. Now the Israelites were clear of the Egyptians as God had done that amazing miracle. But now as they found themselves again moving on the journey towards the promised land, God set about giving his people guidelines and instructions for living. Everybody say, yay, love guidelines, love instructions, love rules, love to be told what to do, right? You probably know them as the Ten Commandments. Right? We read about them in Exodus chapter 20. If you have your device, if you're on version, or you have your Bible, we're going to start there today. And here's the 411 of the Ten Commandments. Here's what you need to know. 
They are not an arbitrary set of rules. They are a a direct reflection of the character of God. And their desire is to shape us into his character. So what you have ever thought about the Ten Commandments, I want you to just kind of move that over to the side. And I want to give you what I believe is the truest definition of the Ten Commandments. They are a direct reflection of the character of God, and their desire is to shape his character into us. That's why God gave Israel the law. That's why it's still effective in your life, God. Our relationship with him, that there is no other God but him. We set up no other gods, no other idols. Listen, there's not really much debate. There's not much teaching I need to do with you about the first four of the Ten Commandments. They are about God. He is, we are not. It's about him, it's not about us. He's right, we're not, right? So everything that God wanted to say to Israel and to us in those first four commands were our relationship, us understanding who God is. But it's the last six that center around our human struggle. The desire is, is to reveal God's character in us as we interact with everyone around us. You see, that's why it's not just simply a list of do's and don'ts. Its direct correlation is to help mold and shape the character of God in us so that we reveal him in everything and with everyone that is a part of our life. You see, this is important today. As a parent, we tend to make rules that center around target areas in which we know our kids can struggle in. That's where we lay down the law. That's where we set the rules. Eat your dinner, clean your room, do your homework. We don't usually have to have rules for our kids to tell them to go watch TV. You know the rule, get in there for four hours every night and watch the TV. We don't have to set a rule for them to go online gaming every night. We don't have to set a rule for them to mess up the living room. Come on, moms, right? You don't have to set rules for that. We target instruction to areas of struggle, and God does the same thing. That's what his law is all about. They are instructions. They are helpful for you to get the very best out of us, to shape us in these areas more after the character of God. They are not just a list of do's and don'ts. So let's look at them. We'll do it fairly quickly. They're probably familiar to you. You might not get them all in order, but you'll know them. So the first thing that God says is honor your father and mother. I want to kind of expand. Let's let's explode these out a little bit more because they are very direct, but they speak to a much bigger issue as well. God's desire for all of us in this area is to understand authority. Now, in the Old Testament and with Israel, it was about the home, and it should still be today. We shouldn't be depending on teachers to train and teach our kids. That's a responsibility that we have as parents. Train up your child in the way that he or she 
would go. God wanted Israel, God wants us to know that to shape the primary characteristic out of our life, to be a godly person, to be a a person of character, is that we have to understand authority. For Israel, it was a matter of, of what was in the home. That's still true today, but in the big sense, God wanted to affirm to us is that it is about authority. The why people struggle against uh, the nature of God is because, again, we see it as an, an authority. God is an authority figure. And so people want to rebel against that. How dare you? Don't, do you know who you... And, and we want to fight. And God was wanting to establish not only what is in heaven, but what is on earth. And it begins with recognizing authority. That there is a place of authority. There are people of authority that are there to help shape and to guide us. The relationship between parents and their kids is not to be combative. It is to be corrective. It is to be instructive. Punishment is never to harm. Punishment is always to develop, to instruct, to teach. And so the first thing that God wants us to understand in the commandment is that we must appreciate and we must understand authority. Second of all, he said, do not murder. And, and this is what we're talking about. There are, in our system, and, and maybe even in Bible times, we recognize there are, there are some definitions, right, of murder. But we're talking about murder in the first degree. All right, we realize there's involuntary murder or second degree or third degree. There are accidents. There are things where people say, I, I didn't mean to do that. And unfortunately, a devastating amount of harm came to someone because of my actions. But I, I didn't set out in that day to do that. So we're not talking about those, but when God said, don't murder, he was talking about murder in the first degree. I'm going after that person, and I'm gonna kill them. So what's the big picture that God was trying to teach? He was talking about ongoing hostility. They were not people that are living with murderous threats. Again, this idea that somebody gets in my way, I'm gonna take him out that I realize that I am in control of my actions. I can do whatever I want to do. And so God, again, put his command on our lives. These are things that are not of God's character, not to go after someone, not to have murderous intent or thoughts, but to quench ongoing hostility. In fact, Jesus said, don't let the sun go down what? On your wrath. Like, get this under control, because that's where violence against one another, that's where division comes, that's where uh, harm uh, comes to those that are in uh, our circle. That's why our world becomes in chaos and out of control. God says, don't commit adultery. The thing that God honors most precious in all of creation is relationship. And as it began between God and man, then God said, I want to create that between my creation of man and woman. And so the big picture of this command is not a list of do's and don'ts. What God was simply saying of the character of God is that he honors sexual purity. And so it's labeled to us as not committing, don't break the marriage covenant. Recognize that that it's not just a don't, but God says because it reflects marriage is a direct connection between me and you. In fact, Jesus told stories where he recognized that he was the bridegroom, the church is the bride. 
God made direct connection in this idea that he wanted to keep this sanctity of marriage to be honorable and true. And so God, again, speaks that as a lifestyle for us collectively. He said, don't steal. What was he talking about? He was talking about personal integrity. To realize that it's not yours for the taking. God says that there is going to be a sense of order. That that, that the idea that we're not going to steal or we're not going to have to live in fear, but we can live in freedom and honesty and open. There's probably a few of us, probably depending on when you lived growing up or where you lived, but we lived with our house not locking the door at night. Anybody? Huh? How far do we have to go back to remember? Yeah, we never locked our doors. Why? Because we never had any fear, right? Because of the character of people that were invested in the same thing that we're not going to steal from one another. That we all live integrous lives. But we recognize it doesn't take long for people to not follow that characteristic to where chaos ensues. And now you and I not only lock our doors, but now it's a whole endeavor. Now there are cameras. Now there are security systems. Now there's everything, right? We, we have gone away from freedom, and we feel ourselves being contained in our own home for the, for the idea of safety. And God was speaking against that, this character within us. He said, don't lie. What's that all about? Well, simply, it's about honesty, that we can live true and honest, that our word is our word. Again, you know, we don't have to go back too far, but unfortunately, we have to go back that a lot of deals were made with what? A handshake, right? Now, I get it, obviously, in the world, not everything can be done with a handshake, but a lot of things were done. Why? Because we knew that, that people were honest, that, that as a generation, as a people, as a characteristic, right, there was an honesty that, that we were striving for. And then he says, don't covet. Be content. Stop looking over the fence. Stop trying to, to either one-up with your neighbors or, or try to sneak in at night and, and steal what your neighbor has somehow to, to make sure that you have the, the most toys on the block, you're, you know what the struggle of having more is and living that kind of lifestyle is, is that you just always want to have more. You're never content, and you are growing a houseful of uncontentful people. Enough is never enough, and it continues to permeate society as well. You see, these laws weren't designed to curb actions. Again, we see them as the long arm of the law. Oh, there's those commandments again. Oh, there's God, like God's this killjoy. Oh, God just, he just you know, won't let me have any fun. Oh, there is all. Listen, the law was never designed to curb our actions. They are instructions to shape our character and might I say our godly character. You see, because every one of these things are a direct connect, a direct relationship of who God is with us. God simply says, I want you to be like me. I want you to, to ooze my character in your relationship with everyone around you, with your family, with your kids, with your wife, with your friends, with the law, with that, that you, we live in freedom, we live in peace. We, we, we live recognizing without fear 
You see, that's why God helped us. We, we want to rush away from the law to, to try to live in grace because we think it's just all bad. And we've never stopped to realize it's not all bad. The law is great because it reveals to us how much more of the character of God we need in our life. Let me say it this way. The law of God is like an x-ray to our soul. I don't know if this has happened to anybody. I would imagine maybe to a few of us in here. It was a number of years ago I went to the dentist after a long period of time to get a checkup, to get a cleaning, and seemingly everything was going pretty well. Uh, in fact, the dentist was kind of, you know, kind of poking around and doing everything, and he said, hey, look like the cleaning went okay, looks like everything looks pretty good. He said, just before you go, let me take some x-rays. I'm like, <laughs> doc, that's not really necessary. I mean, everything's good, like I feel good, I don't feel any pain. He's like, yeah, yeah, just, I'm, I'm glad about that, but just, just while you're here, let's just shoot some x-rays. I don't know if you've ever had a doctor, like after they've shot some x-rays and he's behind you on that kind of lighted board that's behind him that he can see that you can't see, and the dentist or the doctor is going, hmm, ooh, right? How many know they put you in that chair, like that backboard deal where you, like, you, you have no control about what's going on, and, and he's like, ooh, uh, well, I don't, hmm, I, I don't like what I'm seeing there. You're like, wait a minute, What? You see, there, I was feeling fine. However, the x-ray revealed something else was going on. And in the same way, the law of God is like an x-ray to our soul. You see, there are a ton of people who go through life with no sense of pain over their spiritual condition. In fact, if I ask some of you here today, you would say, I'm good, Pastor Jim. I think, I think it's fine. Everything's good. Again, I just went through a long list. Are you good? Are you? You see, the challenge is, is that on the outs, and maybe no one's the wiser, but the truth is, is that God gave something that becomes the x-ray to our soul to really evaluate not how are you on the outside, but how are you on the inside, and there are a lot of people who make the false assumption that things are well with them, that they are living a generally respectable life, and that they are spiritually in good shape. So again, close is close enough. I haven't killed anybody today. <laughs> I don't think I've stolen. I, I, I think I'm okay. And I guess what I want to propose to you today is, what if we ask God not only to put on the searchlight into our hearts, but what if we ask him to x-ray your heart today? You see, a lot of us will say, Pastor Jim, I, I think I'm okay. I don't, I don't really sense anything. I don't really feel anything, but you're never going to know. In fact, maybe even more than an x-ray, now they have MRIs that sees what the x-ray can't see. About 12 years ago, I had to have surgery on my shoulder. I had some torn, a torn labrum and some things in my shoulder that had been giving me problems for a long, long time. And, and, and unfortunately, now I'm, I'm dealing with a lot of that same hurt and pain and injury and kind of lack of mobility in my arm. And so I just went to the doctor this past week, and he said, 
I'm going to order an MRI. He said, I could do an x-ray and it would show me the bone structure, but you've got all these tendons and ligaments and all these things that the x-ray won't show up. In fact, he said, I'm not going to do that, but I'm, all, I'm going to give you a, probably my terminology, somewhat of a, a, an orthopedic type MRI. They're going to shoot dye all through my shoulder because you're going to have scar tissue and some things that the MRI is going to get fooled with a little bit if we just did a full MRI. But if we shoot dye in there, it's going to fill in all those voids and gaps. So the, the idea is, is that this is the most thorough. This is the, the biggest and best way in which we can see everything that is going on deep down inside of this area. And so in the same way, God wanted to be righteous, right with you and I. How many know that we can't be right when we're hiding something? You see, your marriage isn't going to be right if you are hiding something. You say, well, Pastor Jim, I've been living with her. I've been living with him for 20 years. Like, I know him. Not if they're hiding something. You see, I know because that's my job. That's, that's the life that God's called Debbie and I in. We, we don't just see you guys from the outside. You come to our office and you have an opportunity to kind of unpeel some of the stuff. And we realize that it's not until we start unpeeling and start opening up, we recognize. And, and the fact of it is, is that when it finally gets to a level that has to be dealt with, how many know it didn't just start a few days ago? Are you all with me there? And the sad fact of it is, is that it's been going on for a substantial amount of time. See, there are a lot of human things. That's why the commands are given to us, to keep us from that. But we can hide it. We can act, again, as if everything's okay. But finally, when the MRI, when the x-ray of God is shown to our life, we, again, sadly have to realize that it didn't just happen yesterday. It seems things that God maybe even has been speaking to us about for a long, long time, and we've been resistant to that. You see, so this is why the law didn't come to save us. It came only to reveal to us. And so again, you see, that's why religion doesn't work. <laughs> that's why, again, I'll be honest with you, the rules, the list of do's and don'ts, it's not going to work. See, it's relationship. It's recognizing that I've got nothing to offer, but God's grace, as it's revealed through the law, helps you to realize that, that, that I need him. I need this relationship with him to make it well with my soul. So the law, again, only reveals to those of us inside, not outside, to those of us inside how much we need Christ and how impossible it is to try to make it on our own. If you remember, we talked about the early week that Adam and Eve, when they rebelled, they sinned against God, they were instantly ashamed. The relationship changed. And what did they do? They saw that they were naked, and now this idea of shame came upon them and so they sewed leaves together to somehow to cover their nakedness and God asked them what's wrong something's different no no like well you know I think we're okay I, I, you know they're, they're trying to convince God he's like no I, I see that you understand shame now and what are these leaves well we tried to cover ourselves and God says that that will never work and so God created sacrifice 
There has to be a permanent payment for our sinfulness. And God said that he took an animal and sacrificed the animal and covered them in an animal skin. It was a principle that we learn in God's word that we can't cover our sin. We can't cover our, you can never be good enough. Because that's the whole question, right? After you've done a bunch of good, there's still going to be the nagging question in your mind. Is, is, is that enough? Is, is this it? Because I know I'm good, but I know this guy or this girl, they're, they're, doing, they're doing more. So do I have to, where's the line? You see, and we, when we allow Scripture, when we allow God's plan to be at work, we recognize that we don't set the line. God sets the line. We don't have to keep doing. We recognize God has already done the work for us. And that's by us coming into a relationship with Jesus Christ. Exodus chapter 19 says this. So on the first day of the third month, after the Israelites left Egypt, it was on that very day they came to the desert of Sinai. We're back in the same area where Moses had camped. Then Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, this is what you are to say to the descendants of Jacob, these people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. Here's an important line. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations, you will become my treasured possessions. And although the whole world is mine, God speaking, you, Israel, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. See, God was invoking in the midst of the law his grace. How many know the one definition of grace is getting what you don't deserve? Right? Amazing grace. Like that it was just unmerited favor that I should not have gotten this. I'm not good enough to get this. But somehow the giver, right, saw enough to give me what I don't deserve. And so, again, God did not choose Israel because they were holy. Israel became holy because God chose them, right? There was nothing good in them, however, to recognize if they would follow his lead, follow his law, fully obey, God says, you will become my treasured people for all time. And again, the people responded, the Bible says, Exodus 19, we will do everything that the Lord has said. Listen, that would be funny if it wasn't so sad. Because a lot of us have been there before as well. You've been encountered with maybe a message like this on Sunday or maybe God speaking to you or whatever, and you have said, I'll do whatever it takes. Maybe some of you have said, God, if you get me out of this, huh? If, if, you, if you can somehow, right, stop that which is coming my way, if you can turn this around, if you can get me out of this, I'll do whatever you ask me to do. But how many recognize when that is based on our interaction with God, it's probably not going to last very long. And Israel said, God, we hear this, and we're going to do everything that you had asked us to do. But before the ink was dry on those stone tablets, hello, Israel had broken almost every one of God's commandments. 
You might remember Moses going back up into the mountain where God was to give him the Ten Commandments and instructions. And now, according to Scripture, the Bible says that he was gone for almost six weeks. And in those six weeks, Israel almost immediately went off the rails. So God spoke to Moses, right? I, I want to give you a word, Israel. I want, I want to give them grace. I want them to know that, that although they were the least of, of the people that, that I have found because of Abraham, because of his faithfulness, because of his heart, that I'm going to bless them. I'm going I'm to provide for them this abundant grace. But in this abundant grace is going to come my character by way of these commandments. But Moses wasn't gone more than a few hours, and Israel went off the rails. In fact, Aaron was Moses' brother, kind of his partner, his helper in this. And this is what we read in Exodus 32. So the people thought, how many know that's kind of trouble right there? The people thought Moses was gone too long, so they convinced Aaron, Moses' brother, that they needed another god. Now, these are the same people that watched God perform through Moses the plagues in Egypt that ultimately brought about their escape. It was the same God that opened up the Red Sea so that they could walk through on dry ground. It was this same God that provided food and water out in the desert for millions of millions of people. But it was just a matter of time. And, and again, like us, Pastor Jim, keep us entertained. Keep us happy. Like, we're not going to talk about law. We're not going to talk about sin. We're not going to talk about hell. We're not going to talk about all that stuff, all those do's and don'ts. Just entertain us. Listen, that's been around now for thousands of years. Israel, like, listen, where's Moses? He said he was going to lead us. He was going to provide for us. He was going to give us food. The guy's not even around. Listen, come on, Aaron, we need another God. And so he collected all of their gold and silver and he made a golden calf, very important, with his own hands. I want you to remember that. Now listen, before you rush to judgment, can I ask you today, how does your Monday through Saturday go? You see, you might say, Pastor Jim, what is wrong with Israel? I mean, God did all this miraculous stuff. I mean, God... I mean, just blow our mind in telling the story. How could Israel turn on him so fast? How could it be within days that they're now begging for another God? Please me, entertain me, provide for me. Well, can I ask you to take just a minute with me today, and can I ask you, how does your Monday through Saturday go? You see, you come here today, it's Sabbath. It's the Lord's Day, it's church we sing, we pray, we praise, we proclaim we love Jesus. We talk about, isn't grace, isn't grace so amazing? But you see, I've been doing this long enough to know that the seven days in between Sundays is a long time. And some of you act so right, so righteous, so holy today on his day. But I wonder, are you that way on Monday? Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday? How do you turn so quickly from a Sunday? How does sin gravitate into your heart, into your life? How do you speak the things you speak, say the things you say, do the things you do, look? 
the way you do. Act the way you do after being here in God's presence on a Sunday, on his day, his house. How is it that we can turn so quickly looking to please me, looking for another God so that we can get away doing whatever it is that we want to do? Before we leave today, can I just take us back to those last six commandments? Can I put it into context for us today? Thinking about what is my Monday through Saturday? What does it really look like? What was that first one? Oh yeah, obedience, authority. What does that mean for us today? Well, that means our spiritual disciplines. Do I honor God? Listen, I know you're honoring God today because you're here. But can I ask you, do you honor God Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday? Can I ask about your prayer life? Can I ask about your spiritual disciplines? Can I ask what excites you more that you're anticipating this week more than your relationship with Jesus? Well, I can't wait for that show to be on Wednesday night, man. Ooh, I gotta get everything ready, like get the kids to bed because I, gotta, I can't miss my show. And yet we've missed any prayer, any connection time with God. Yeah, yeah. Well, I know Pastor Jim's doing that Tuesday, Thursday thing. I, I just don't feel like getting up. Uh, I know I should probably, I know I should be in the Word. I, I know I should be praying. I, but, uh, and we lack understanding the authority of the power of God. David said, I have hidden your Word in my heart. Why? So that I don't sin against you. So that my Monday, my Tuesday, my Wednesday, my Thursday... Like the character of God. I'm not doing this. Oh, Pastor Jim, you're just talking about do's and don'ts. You're just talking about, uh, you know, all, all these works. That, no, I'm not talking. It's just the opposite. You're not doing it because you have to do it to somehow to please God. It's because we are blessed by God. I should be doing this first thing every day. He should be the first thought. He should be what drives me. He should be what empowers me. What was the second one? Do not murder. You say, well, Pastor Jim, listen, <laughs> I think you have a good congregation here. I don't think we're murderers, right? Murderers in the first degree. No, and I would agree with you. However, what did Jesus really talk about in the New Testament time that we are living in? Did Jesus not only talk about physically killing somebody with a knife, with a gun, or did he talk about another tool that we have, another weapon that we carry with us every day? Anybody ever killed anybody with this guy? Don't say no. You're all murderers. Right? So can I ask you, like, how do you guard your mouth, your tongue, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday? What are the things that you think about? What are the thoughts? It says what comes out of your mouth is not, it comes out of where? Out of your heart. I want you to think about that. I mean, how quickly cutting words come out of your mouth. Words of, of, of curse, not blessing. Listen, there are wives and husbands that struggle. I, it's happened in, in my marriage. I, Debbie's had to tell me on, on numerous occasions, that, you know, if you would just say nicer things once in a while versus all the critical things that you say. And partly that's me, partly that's a man, partly that's a leader. There's a, there's a lot of excuses, but at the end of the day, if my wife has to tell me that four or five times, it's not her problem, it's my problem. 
I'm not allowing the Holy Spirit. Again, the x-ray is there. I just refuse to deal with it. And let me tell you, when the dentist tells you, man, inside, you might not have pain right now, but the inside of your mouth, your teeth are rotted to the core. You might not have problems right now, but how many of us are aware? It's only what? A matter of time. What else do we talk about? Commit adultery. Sexual purity. You know, so Pastor Jim, like, I, like we're, good, we're good. Well, again, what did Jesus say? It wasn't necessarily if we even were in the act of committing adultery, but Jesus said what? Are you with me? Even if what? Even if you think about it, it's as good as what? Doing it. If you look and it drives lustful thoughts. So again, can I ask you? Nobody's probably doing that today on Sunday, on the Sabbath, in the Lord's house. Can I ask you, how's Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday? How could Israel turn so fast? I don't know. How is it that you've forgotten everything that I've said by Tuesday? He said, don't steal. We talked about what? Personal integrity. Pastor Jim, I'm not a thief. I don't steal. Well, have you stolen time from your employer? Have you walked through the supply closet and said, oh, there's thousands of those in there. They'll never miss two or three. How many of you, again, have gone to Walmart or whatever big box store and they made a mistake on your receipt? It was their error that you benefited and what do we say? Oh, hey, <laughs> they're lost, baby. Like, you know, they should have they had their system. They should have watched it. Or like, I win, they lose. They always win. Finally, one for the small guy. You know what that says? It says you're a thief. You're a thief. It's personal integrity. You know, here's what I find funny. If your five-year-old pickpockets something because they're still innocent, they don't know any better, really in their hearts, and they come home and they're like, where did you get that toy? Listen, as parents, what do we do? Get your coat on, young man. We're going right back to that store. Listen, I don't know if it happened to you, but it happened to me. And you face that person at the register and, you know, you're crying and your parents are... But something's different when you're 30 or you're 40 or 50. Somehow it's not your mistake. It's their mistake. It's their fault. And you get away with one. You get the freebie. So how is that on Tuesday, on Thursday, on Friday? What else do we talk about? About lying. So the people said, we need another God. So listen to Aaron when Moses confronts him. He comes down from the mountain and sees all the chaos of people dancing and acting crazy around the golden calf. He says to Aaron, what did these people do to you that you led them into such great sin? Do not be angry, my Lord, Aaron answered. You know how prone these people are to evil. Boy, great leadership there, right? Not me, Aaron, it's them. Not me, Moses. Like, these people are, you know, I'm good. These people are nuts. They said to me, make us gods who will go before us. 
As for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't even know what has happened to him. So I told them, whoever has any gold jewelry, take it off. Then they gave me the gold, and I threw it into the fire, and out came this calf. It's exactly what the Bible says. Do you remember I asked you to remember a few moments ago when he asked for the gold? It said what? He created it with what? His very own hands. But now confronted. I I didn't do it. It wasn't me. Listen, when we are confronted, what is our confession? Listen, I have an opportunity, as you know, over this last year to hang out with the EPD. I get to do a lot of ride-alongs and get to find people in the midst of some bad choices that they have made. Can I tell you, whenever we pick somebody up, they have never done anything wrong that was going on. There's not, listen, I've, I've been on dozens and dozens and dozens of rides. There hasn't been one person say, eh, you got me. Sorry, officer, you're right, I took it. It, was, it wasn't them, it was 100% my fault. Listen, it's not the criminal on the street very likely you and I as well. God turns on the x-ray and what's our first reaction? <laughs> Not me. Well, it was because of this. It was of that. I've tried my very best. Again, you've heard some of our story. Again, as a young guy in a marriage and struggles and boy, early on, man, I wanted to resist. It couldn't be me. It wasn't my fault. But as my wisdom grew, as I realized, no, there, there's a guy in me on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, And I try to tell people, even if you've been for counseling, listen, I realize there are some excuses, but if your life is filled with excuses, it's everybody else and it's not you. Can I just tell you right out, you are the problem. And I've had to find that out in my own life as well. He talked about covet, about being content, the pursuit of stuff. Some of you don't tithe. Some of you don't give to God. You keep all of your money that God's blessed you with. You're covetous. Somehow you have realized that it's yours. Listen, I'm not here to beg you for your money. And and if you think real life like this, Pastor Ollie talked, I don't want your money. You see, we're not talking about a list of do's and don'ts. We're talking about the character of God. When you can't give back in obedience to what God has done for you, it's not a blazing example upon the church in your character. And I have to tell you about that. I don't care if you give or not at this point. I do care that you need to know your character is rotted to the core. That's why he says don't covet it. We're so worried about keeping up with everybody's stuff. And yet when we realize God has just asked us for the smallest bit to show us that I recognize the character of God. His grace, he's faithful. The mission of the church, the the blessing that we can be to people. This week I wrote out a check for $250 to a person who was struggling. Their life got turned upside down. And I said, hey, listen, there's a lot of things we want to do. But the first thing that I want to do is let you know that we as a church, we care about you. We're going to be with you. This is a small starter about how we're going to help. And the reason why I can do that is that even when when the bank looks a little bit thin at real life, I realize that our character as people is that we're here to bless and to help. That's why we're a part of the family here. That's why we give, not to keep, not to hoard, so that we can bless. Okay, I'm done. (laughs) 
Let me give you this last part. Adria, why don't you bring the band? So the law not only affirms the glory of God, but it announces our need for Christ. So listen, I don't want anybody at real life from this point on to ever have a seizure when you hear the word law. When you hear about the commandments. You see, it's not really a list of do's and don'ts. It's about you and I examining are those characters, those characteristics, do they operate in a godly fashion in my life? You see, our need for Christ is not just that we'll have a richer, fuller, more satisfying life, that we get to live under grace. But the fact is, is that it helps me to realize that I am a sinner by nature and by practice. And the x-ray of God's law shows it even when I don't even feel the pain in the moments. So why do we pray? Why do we seek the work of the Holy Spirit in our life? Is because he sees what sometimes either I don't see or he deals with stuff that at times I know it's there, I just refuse to deal with it. I'll keep pushing it, pushing it, pushing it. And how many know, listen, in a relationship, in a marriage, you can stuff it, but how many know it ain't going away? You're not gonna deal with it, but guess what? You are going to deal with it. It's going to reveal itself. Israel, God did not say to them, I'm giving you these commands so that by keeping them, you will become my people. What he did say is because you are my people, I want to give you these commands to bring glory to me and to bring glory among yourself. Does that make sense? Does that help today? You see, law and grace aren't polar opposites pulling you in opposite directions. It is one voice of God, of grace. And us affirming that I don't fear his law, I love his law. Because his law simply points and reminds me how much more of him I need today. Let me finish with this today. Maybe you've heard the phrase being changed from glory to glory. In fact, Paul talks about it in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. You see, the idea is this, is that through God's law, accompanied by his grace, is that he wants to change us, transform us. Paul said in Philippians, into the image of Christ. This is the work, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, when it's tough, when you're alone, when no one else is around, where no one could stop you, no one would catch you. It's this life in my life, glory, that when we honor him, reflects the glory of God in my life. You see, God's desire is is that he wants to perfect us. Unfortunately, we live in a world that now is stained by sin, and so that perfection will not be possible in this life, but God says, I am going to change you from glory This glory that we get to abide in now to one day that is going to translate you into the presence of God where his glory will overshadow you for all eternity. So it's a good glory 
that one day is going to become amazing glory. But you see, the only way that we are changed from glory to glory is by allowing the searchlights, the x-ray, the MRI of heaven come and start working on us today. So I want you to pray this, and I want to pray this over you while we close today. And maybe if there is a, a closing thought that hopefully that you would get out of all of this is on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday to ask God each morning, my desire is to live for you. My desire is that the glory of God, maybe you'll be so bold as to say, God, I give you permission for the Holy Spirit to send out an air raid siren when I set about killing somebody with my tongue. When I set about maybe taking some things that aren't rightfully mine to take. Maybe I should have been writing a check to the ministry of God, but I've lived this life to say, no, it's just all about me. So I want to pray over you that God would allow the x-ray of his spirit. And maybe you'll have an opportunity to see. And then I want you to come back next Sunday with a sign. Letter A, if you did it perfectly. Letter B, not so good. C, ooh, it was a real struggle. D, Pastor Jim, you were right, man. I am, whoa. And when I start my message, I'm gonna ask us all to hold up our letter. No, I'm not gonna do any of that. But I do wanna give you some action to work on this week. Maybe join me on Tuesday and Thursday. We'll probably talk a little bit more about this. Would you bow your heads with me today? So Father, I ask that each one of these areas that your word has addressed to us, that we will take this, we will take this to heart this week. I pray, God, that we will allow the law of God to shape our character, to mold us, to realize, man, in that area, I need Jesus. I need more of him.